Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast. I am Laurent Cortines. It is Monday, November 7th. 7th, 7th. In this episode, we will review match week 16 of the Premier League season, the last week before the World Cup. <gasps> and we will review the Champions League draw and breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. Discuss the potential sale of Liverpool Football Club. Wow, e wow. Okay, first, let us go to the scores and let me get my banners up because look, I'm not even, I don't even have all my stuff up. Here I am. <laughs> Cortine, spiky bump time. This is for all the kids on the video. First, let us go to the Premier League scores. I'm doing this a little bit less planned and more a little loose just to see how things are going. Okay. In the first game of the day, this was new. This was on Saturday. It was a goal fest. The whole thing was nuts. 2-2, Forrest versus Brighton. Forrest had this game. They were there. And then Ben Mee couldn't clear the ball off the line, and they get the draw. Brentford had the win, excuse me, and Nottingham Forest get a draw at home at the city ground, but they need a win. They need a win. The Zerbys boys go to Molyneux and win 3-2. That's two on the spin for Deserby. Wolves, I mean, Wolves architects of their own downfall by getting a red card from Semedo, but Brighton were good as usual. City, in a vital performance, win 2-1. Holland scores a penalty that was drawn by the De Bruyne. Fulham were good in this game. They probably could have attacked a little bit more, but they were a man up for 60 minutes in this game. In the bonkers game of the day, and as we learned from Chari, this is his new crack. Leeds 4, Bournemouth 3. They did it again, Jesse Marsh. It was crazy. Up and down, up and down. Our boy, Somerville, putting the going-winning goal up on this one. Leicester continue the renaissance. They defeat Everton 2-0. Dominic Calvert-Lewin hurt again. Everton still can't score goals. And then yesterday, when all the big boys played, first, Arsenal won. Chelsea nil. Chelsea slipping. My board Potter already getting boo birds. What? What's wrong with you people at Chelsea? Arsenal are grooved. Arsenal are grooved. Arsenal are grooved. They are title contenders. We've been saying this for three months. They're good. Aston Villa under good evening. Unai Emery defeat Aston Villa. 3-1. Also exciting. Newcastle spank Southampton in what will be our friend Ralph Hasenhutl's last game. Goodbye, Ralph. And Crystal Palace defeat West Ham at the London Stadium. Zaha gets on the sheet. And then my boy Aloesi has a great post-game game. And then finally, the last game of the day went exactly as you'd expect. Liverpool 2, Tottenham 1. Spurs didn't show up in the first half, really. Well, that's not true. Uh, Liverpool scored a goal early, had two goals early. Mo Salah with some great, good finishes. One and a mistake by Dyer. And Harry Kane with a really nice goal for Tottenham. Tottenham could have got a draw out of this, but they didn't. Next, so we're going to go back to the games, but let's go through 
the Champions League draw because this is the round of 16. This is when we get in double elimination. Very important stuff now. The big news here is, remember, Champions League draw, you may not be drawn in a team from your group or from your country. So the draw goes like this, and these will begin on Valentine's Day after the World Cup. So we've got some time in February. PSG draw Bayern Munich. Bayern would be favorites. Tottenham get a fair draw, taking on AC Milan. Club Bruges gets Benfica. Everyone wanted Club Bruges. They had been great in the group stage, but Benfica then draw the good straw. Dortmund v Chelsea. I think Chelsea will expect themselves to be favored in that group, but that could be tough. Liverpool, Real Madrid, a battle of royalty. No one has an advantage. Liverpool have had a bad season, but by the time February rolls around, I would expect this will be close. Napoli draw another team that in Eintracht Frankfurt. Eintracht Frankfurt's real strength is their crowd, but Napoli have been so good. They should have no problem. City get RB Leipzig. I would say we're happy with this. This is not a difficult team. It'll be tough. And none of the, at the round of 16, no games are easy. And then Porto and Inter. The world will be focused on two matchups. PSG Bayern and Liverpool Real Madrid. For PSG and Bayern, this is a life or death matchup. If either of those teams lose... Their season is a wash because they both expect their whole season is based on this tournament. So PSG not winning their group and not getting the goals they needed against Maccabi Haifa and Porto getting them means they finish second, which means this is why you don't want to fish second in your group. You end up playing Bayern. Or if you're a Liverpool, you end up with Real Madrid. That Napoli victory was a big deal. Angela, your boys are in good shape. You might win the Scudetto. I think you might go nuts. So Napoli, pull through. But the Champions League is now on hiatus. PSG, Bayern, Milan, Tottenham, Club Bruges, Benfica, Dortmund, Chelsea, Liverpool, Real Madrid. Just crazy. Eintracht, Frankfurt, Napoli, Leipzig, Man City in a battle of two teams with no history. That'll be the narrative. Inter versus Porto. All-time champions. Okay, back to the Premier League. And I want to go to Chelsea versus Arsenal. Okay. First, Arsenal. We need to stop with the idea that this, this team can't win the league. There is a constant narrative around young teams this happens in every sport this happens with experience this is always the the fact the fact is you can't win with kids as alan hansen said in 1992 when beckham gary neville nicky butt um uh um gigs and skulls were regulars for man united and they just said you can't win the league with kids and it was a mistake because you can win the league with kids not just kids Arsenal are kids, but a lot of their 25-year-olds are in year seven. So they are the, I just looked it up, they are the fifth youngest team in all of Europe. 
So their average age is 25 years old. I've been talking about this for two years. They were a whole full year old younger last year, and they're still getting better. But week in, week out, you can get a consistent performance of what Arsenal are going to do, who's going to be there, who their primary players are going to be. They're going to be solid defensively with Gabriel and, and Saliba. The fullbacks are strong. They've unleashed Jaka to avoid some of his fighting. And this was a dominant 1-0 performance. As dominant as you could find. Chelsea didn't have fight. They didn't quite get there. Um, I listened to a guy called Rory Smith who's a sort of hyperbolic... Hyperbolic sort of YouTube guy. He's been on the, the Twitch streams and he he does he's doing well and he's quite good. Um and he is deep into Chelsea and he's my sort of go-to for what's the feeling of the supporters. And his feeling was just that his team is filled with mercenaries and they don't have any connection to the club. And the previous regime under Abramovich lit fires under players due to its cutthroat nature. And the way the side is now, they're just not there. They're not doing that. Um, I did also watch the the TIFO <clears throat> breakdown of this. It's more tactical, more nerdy, where they go through the tactics board. And they, got, they gave the impression that, felt that Arteta really controlled this game by spreading out the midfield of Chelsea and really giving the middle of the pitch to to Arsenal because of the way they played, because of Arsenal's smart tactics of splitting players wide and and pressing on and some of the liabilities of Chelsea that they're just not athletic enough, especially against a younger team. Jorginho Loftus-Cheek cannot compete with Shaka Thomas Odegaard in the midfield and all the youth that that with Jinchenko and, and, and Ben White both being able to come inside and really flood the midfield a lot, where they were sort of vacating them, trying to keep up with these wide wingers and stuff like that. So just Chelsea just don't look good. And Potter's trying to find the right grouping. Listen, I understand that Chelsea has a lot of injuries. That's fine. They also have a lot of depth. So, you know, Chelsea are licking their wounds. They are winless in their last four, two draws, two losses. Doing okay in Europe, they're fine there. I think Potter needs time. I think Chelsea fans are going to have to sort of accept the fact that the Bowley change was a big deal. It's probably mentally affected the players over the long period of the season. There's not, there's weirdly, for as much money as they spent, not a lot of game changers in the side. I'm looking at the side here. It's, you know, Aubameyang is not great. Havertz is not great. Mount is the only really player that can create from the midfield. And Raheem Sterling, I told you, is not that good. <laughs> he's good. No, sorry. I'm just kidding around. But he's not a finisher. And he needs things set up for him so that he can do his thing. And without Conte and without Chilwell and without Koulibaly and without... Uh, uh, Reese James and without Kepa, Chelsea just tried to hang on. Now, the 1-0 score looks okay, 
but they were dominated. And Chelsea at home losing to Arsenal is a big deal. So it's not hyperbolic. They're not, it's not the end of the world. They're going to be fine. But they have to right the ship and get themselves back together and then back onto Arsenal. This team is going to be there with City at the end. It's going to be City and Arsenal. And like we said before, no team with this many points at this point in the season has ever finished less than second. The only team that finished less than second with this many points at this point in the season was the famous Kevin Keegan Newcastle team called the Entertainers who folded down the stretch. Uh, They had an epic collapse against United. Otherwise, this is a Arsenal are on a winning trajectory. We know Liverpool fans, Manny, um, that City sort of break these molds. They break history. So City is going to be on 90, 90, 91 points, 92 points. Arsenal are on that path. But can they stay there? That is a difficult task. We don't know yet. It's all unknown. But they could do it. No reason they can't. So Arsenal. Yowza. Really, really good right now. Really, really good right now. (coughs) Let's head to City. I know this game is not sexy from a... From a, you know, oh, it's City versus Fulham. Why is this game important? For City fans... This was weirdly a super-duper important game. It became one after Cancelo was sent off on 26. City already had a one-goal lead. Alvarez had scored. He was playing for Holland. Holland's foot was hurt. Gundogan, really nice through ball, right through the defense. And let me tell you, Julian Alvarez is the real deal. If it wasn't for fucking Erling Holland, we would, you know, it might be Alvarez who's on 12 goals by now. He's really, really good. And I recommend getting a hold of him. So... Here we go. Cancelo is in the team. Grealish is in the team. Things aren't disjointed. They're not City aren't creating as much. You know, they they're still in control. They're still City, but this was a match where there was a lot of high emotion. And the City players took the challenge. So down a man, the midfield three of gun. Bernardo and De Bruyne refused, and, and Rodri, sorry, sorry, I think De Bruyne's probably listed as fire, fire up. Rodri, De Bruyne, Gundogan, they refused to let this team lose. They refused to let City play in a different way. They played as they, oh, they had 11 because City's midfielders dropped into defense when they needed to defend, moved up to fill spaces. They were everywhere. De Bruyne, Silva, Gundogan, Rodri. Rodri dropped into central defense when he needed to. <coughs> it was a performance of champions, and the team took that on. I think there was a there was a sense that this game could be won. Um, Fulham took two shots on target. One of them was their goal. Really not much going on. Um, no Mitrovic for them. But another thing about this game 
was um, the crowd at the Etihad. I am aware and I've lauded and damaged and hurt and get hurt by my own team. That the, that it's not that it's not Anfield. That it's not St James's Park. It's the Etihad. It's a it's a leftover stadium from a Commonwealth game from the year two thousand. So it's sort of like the London Stadium. It's got the same feel, and it can be flat. But this game, for some reason, the fans sensed the effort that the players were giving. Guardiola was ginning up the players, the, the fans, and it bounced. It had energy, and that was different. That was something else that City does not have. And if that's what City's like when we have full fan support, then God damn it, let's get for more fan support. <laughs> you know, at the end of this game, Guardiola went nuts. He jumped up and down. He was demonstrative. He made the players do a lap of honor. He wanted to acknowledge that the fans pushed the team forward. Uh, Holland almost scored a goal, was called offside. I mean, once he came on with Foden, it's like it's like an attacking duo comes on. You know, I think Foden, I think everyone will agree at this point that, you know, Foden, the best front line is, is De Bruyne, Foden, and um, Silva. You know, the team just functions better when it's got Gundogan and, and Rodri with De Bruyne and Silva, and then Foden and 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 uh and um Holland as the two primary strikers. I mean, John Stones was killing it at right back. I mean, there's a, so many heroes in this game. Just an amazing game, and the fans picked up on it. It was an amazing performance and an amazing feeling. Uh just a different maker, the kind of game that City fans needed and wanted. So Really good stuff from City. Um, and I'll jump on to uh, United. So United ran into Unai Emery and a buzzsaw <laughs> that uh, they just weren't prepared for. <laughs> they seemed to not be ready for Aston Villa's fire, fight, uh, spacing, uh, tactics. They All of a sudden, Villa knew where to go. All of a sudden, the passes were faster. It's like Unai Emery had three days on the training ground, and all of a sudden, Villa were transformed. Now, Manny, hello. Uh, Manny, who's on our, our, our WhatsApp chat, please let us know in the comments if you want a hold of that. Um, or And please like, subscribe to the show. <clears throat> Manny pointed out that, oh, we're going to talk about how Unai Emery changed the team, changed the team. He may not have. And players may have been playing on emotion. But whatever the case was, I watched Gerard. I had a, if you listen to this pod a lot, I really thought Gerard would be good. And he wasn't. Um, but fair play to Villa. They fucking came. They punched United in the mouth. United did respond. They did pull a goal back from uh, Shaw. And you kind of thought, oh, maybe the second half, United will pull this out for a draw or something. But a second goal from Ramsey. Um, really made a difference, and once it went up to three one, I don't. It didn't look like uh, didn't look like United had it in them to pull out of it. Not a lot of shots in this game, but a decent amount of strong chances. I will shout out John John Santana, the old the old man in the shoe, uh, calling out Tyrone Mings, who is everywhere and kicking ass. Uh, one sad note: Johnny Vanderbeek. Uh, 
you can't play for United. Sorry, you're just not allowed. There was no Fernandez because he missed a game. So they were missing that creativity. But the but the Villa were just so good. Leon Bailey terrorized um, terrorized Luke Shaw. He was moving around. He was everywhere. I will give another shout-out to Lissandro Martinez. What an amazing shithouser. But he couldn't defend everywhere. So they were just giant gaps. Didn't seem like Casemiro could get in the game or affect anything. Ronaldo didn't do much. Kind of <coughs> had the team sputtering the way he does. You know, when he plays... I mean, he seemed to be trying hard, but he's out of form. He doesn't play all the time, so he can't really get his mojo back on to to help the team score. Uh, they have a youngster, uh, Alessandro, or is it, what's his, Alejandro? What is he? What is this? Alejandro Guarnacho, young kid from Spain playing uh, for United. He's got the look. I thought when I watched him, he... Had all the moves and the tricks, he just held the ball too long. Like, there were moments that he should have shot. There were moments that he should have gotten off the ball. The difference when you're coming up to these top-level games to the Premier League is you cannot stay on the ball. You have got to move it. If there's an opportunity, you do it. So he was good, but, you know, United just couldn't get off the schneid and move things forward. Now, I'm talking about the big teams and all the teams that are in the top of the league, and we will get to... Um, Liverpool and Tottenham, but I do want to give a big shout to <clears throat> Newcastle. The machine keeps rolling. Uh, I'm not going to go through this game. Granted, it was versus Southampton, no big deal. But uh, Almiron, Chris Wood, Willa, Gumar, Bruno Gemarash, they fucking kicked ass again. They're sitting in third. <clears throat> if you can be a top five, top four team without anyone knowing, uh, this is about where Newcastle is. I believe they play Chelsea next. And we're going to go to Chelsea. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to go check in on that in a minute. But yeah, Newcastle, just really good. Another team weirdly like Arsenal, a lot less turnover, a lot of things coming together. It's the one-year anniversary of Eddie Howe. He's got a top four club on his hands. He's done an amazing coaching job. I think we all thought that he was good when he was at Bournemouth, but they could never defend. And maybe he was a one club guy and he had gone, he had left Bournemouth for Burnley, failed at Burnley, went back to Bournemouth. Now, he did bring Bournemouth up three levels and kept them out of relegation after a 10 point deduction, but he never really progressed and was a, their transfers didn't really work. And Bournemouth was kind of weird under them. They kind of fizzled out and he really couldn't keep them from the drop. But, what he's doing with Newcastle is fantastic, and those fans deserve it. I think everyone is pulling for Newcastle who's not, you know, nobody hates Newcastle. Did someone say they hate Newcastle? Somebody hates Newcastle. I'm sure they're out there somewhere. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't go to the other one of our friends in the top four, and that's um, for the for the pod. I probably put City before this game. I probably shouldn't have. But Liverpool 2, Tottenham 1. You know, same old, same old, same old, same old. You know, Salah on the score sheet, Kane for Tottenham, and Tottenham not being good enough. Um, no, it was weird seeing um, Hugo Lur uh, Ivan Perisic playing up top with Kane. It was still defensive, 5-3-2 from Spurs at home. They did have the out ball with Sessegnon, and Spurs did attack Trent Alexander-Arnold a lot. 
and he did get in behind. Sessignon did have some chances, but Konate was there. He hadn't been playing for a while, and he protected um, Alexander Arnold enough, and Elliot supported him enough. And the goal came, you know, from a really good run and a really good pass um, to Salah, who just picks it up. Nunez makes the run. They both kind of run together, pushing the defenders back. Nunez keeps his head up, takes the pass, turns, hands it off to Salah. Salah, touch, left foot, boom. I thought Sessignon was close and maybe should have been closer, but the first goal from Salah was pure class, pure Salah. He's getting more central and staying out from being so wide, and I think that's really helping. He's trying to be closer to Nunez, and that's making things work. But the second half was tough. I think Spurs were okay. I think this game was pretty even. I wouldn't say it was a bad Spurs performance. It's just they don't get going until they're behind. And especially the first half is usually problematic. Um, Second half was much better. Much, much better from Spurs. They hit the post twice. One was sort of a fumbled one from Allison. And then Perisic just literally just hit it hard. Um, Kulosevsky came on. He made a difference for Spurs. And they're just getting there. I'm not sure what to make of them. I wish Mike was here to sort of really talk through some of the Spurs stuff. He's very frustrated with Conte. Conte seems frustrated with the team. Although I will say that Kane looks really good. He was very much into this game. So it's good for England that Kane's playing well. Bad for Spurs that they can't really get themselves together. I was hoping that Brian Hill would put some different kind of flair, but it doesn't look like um, Conte's ready to trust his defense at all. And Derek Dyer showed why, because (laughs) he made a mistake and gave up a goal. He did something stupid. Uh, They just don't have good enough defenders to be a defensive team. So what they should do, I don't know. I thought Basuma, again, was really good. The three of Hoiberg, Betancourt, and Basuma is really good. I just wish that they wouldn't be five at the back. I just wish it was a four. Uh, the wing backs aren't good enough, and so you might as well just put another attacking player in and just be a four-three-three, and really take advantage of Basuma's legs and ability to sort of, sorry, of Hoiberg or one of them can sit. Maybe they just need one to decide to be the creative player and try and be like City and Arsenal, attacking sixes with a holding eight. Come on, let's get involved. So. That's where Spurs were. <coughs> the less said about Liverpool, the better. I fucking hated it. I hated that they scored the two goals. Uh, as a City fan, I just kind of see Salah, and I go, oh, you fucking Salah. And then I kind of, once they scored the second goal, I was like, Spurs aren't going to goddamn come out from this fucking game. So it was frustrating. But what can you do? What can you do? It's fucking Liverpool. They're good. That's why you get Real Madrid, fuckers eat a bag of dicks <laughs> big news is that fsg have put liverpool up for sale it is they've been the owners for of liverpool for 12 seasons uh been through came through when liverpool were in bad shape after the gillette ownership was really just a bad real estate deal they had been the texas rangers owners and had fucked the texas rangers too and then li- bought liverpool they bought liverpool for 200 million dollars and, you know, we have to be fair. They did a great job. Uh, the hiring of Jurgen Klopp was clearly the 
the vendor punked with turning point that really turned the franchise around. But in terms of a business, they were getting Liverpool in the right direction. <clears throat> they had that first shot under under Rodgers where they almost won the league in 2013-14. Then they get Klopp after Rodgers. And so it's been a positive experience. They had some missteps, I'd say. <clears throat> the Super League type of stuff, John Henry having to post his prison video where he said, oh, I didn't really realize it. <clears throat> That's fine. You know, Americans, we don't, we really just think of sports as business. So that's there. I don't know what it means for Liverpool yet. Uh, they'll probably sell that team. I mean, in the range of $5 million, $4 billion, excuse me, some ex absurd number. Um, but this Champions League now becomes a bigger issue for Liverpool. They've really got to make it because those costs and all that money and all those things. And I, and I don't get the sense that, FSG will sort of cheap out. They really haven't bought anybody anyway. So maybe there's not much of cheap out, but it's change and change is scary. And good ownership is really hard to come by. And, you know, being a city fan and knowing what we had before, or you can ask Newcastle fans, it's not all it's cracked up to be. When you have a good owner who cares, it means everything. And so, um, you know, losing FSG, it might probably take a year before the sale comes off, honestly. <clears throat> but it's a big deal. And then we have to wonder about the relationships between Klopp and the board. There's some really tight relationships that Klopp has with FSG. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, bouncing around a little bit more, I didn't get to watch many of the games uh, because there was a bit of a glut of games all at once. But the Leeds game was just to, to give some, some talk about this. You know, Leeds went up a goal. Then they got pulled back by Marcus Tavernier. They were down 3-1 all in the first half. Solanke with another goal. He's been turning into a really good player. Then Sam Greenwood comes off the bench, rips in a screamer. Then super Leeds captain Liam Cooper on a header on 68. And then on the break... So <clears throat> Bournemouth have a free kick in midfield. They play it into the box. It bounces around. Then the new boys for Leeds just take off. Somerville and Wilfred Gignotto. What an amazing break. Somerville gets played in by Gignotto. And this pass by Gignotto is the run in the pass by Gignotto is just fantastic. Such a little powerhouse tiny little guy he rides a couple challenges then lays it off just somehow finds the chill and the calm to just lay it right into crescencio somerville's path and he finishes it over um over travers one thing to note <clears throat> for um bournemouth they need a they need they need their keeper back remember last year we talked about raya being out for brentford and that coincided with their dip you need good goalkeepers. <laughs> and when you have a bad one, it really makes a difference. So Travers is just not good. He was the goalkeeper who gave up the nine to um, to Liverpool. And Neto, who had been there, was one of the best at saving goals in the league. So something to keep in mind. 
<clears throat> when we look around for <clears throat> why teams are failing and wh who's doing well and why they're doing that and etc. So keep an eye on those goalkeepers. One one place that I do want to go with Leicester is we talked about their goalkeeper pretty early on. They get take a clean sheet against Everton. But it looks like Ward has really turned himself around because he was really poor, um, Danny Ward, their keeper. And he was part of the reason that they were shipping goals. And he's somehow, with with being for Wales and playing um, goalkeeper for them, he's a Rexford. Rexford he's, at a Rex, he's from Wrexham, so that kind of gives him a little bit of juice. He does play for Wales and has done. But he's now... Picked himself up, and he's sort of getting clean sheets. I think he's gotten four of the last five games for Leicester have been clean sheets. So your goalkeepers get into form and out of form as well. So Danny Ward, good for him. Uh, just want to give him a shout-out for Leicester, how he's turned that team's defense along with face around Madison, incredible. Tielemans, another wonder goal. Just some performers of the week. Want to call out a few players. <clears throat> Somerville for the goal at Leeds. Incredible stuff. Um, Miguel Amiron, another goal for Newcastle. I think his seventh in six games. <clears throat> another player I want to call out, Cairo Matomo for Brighton. He's been incredible. He's a difference maker. Young Japanese player. We'll see him at the World Cup. Someone to keep an eye on. Really good winger, scored a, heading go a headed goal. And then in the Palace-West Ham game they haven't covered yet, my guy Michael Aluse in the 94th minute kept on trying to cut in on his left foot and smooth at home, taking a few shots that like that before. They kept on going wide, but he finally got one in the end. And if you and if you can do something, please, please, please go see Michael Aluse's um, post-game interview. Uh, it's, it's something he gives four one word answers and <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. And, uh, he has nothing to say. It's pretty, pretty funny. Um, I'm still sick. My throat's hurting. And I, if you haven't noticed, I've been popping, uh, my lozenges. So I'm going to go. That was the squeaky bum time podcast with Laurent Cortine. We are members of top sports network. You can find us on FanHub as well. We record on Tuesdays and Fridays, so be sure to record the show. So be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, so you never miss an episode. And if you're on Apple, please rate and review the show. Mike will be back soon, and we have new news coming soon. So that is that. World Cup reviews, previews next week sometime. <laughs>